Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. want to thank you for coming back and listening to another episode and I have a few different environmental holidays for you to celebrate so be sure to mark your calendars as always. Uh, The first environmental holiday is Energy Efficiency Day. Yes, this means that you should be efficient in uh, so many things, your your appliances, your energy use from day to day, maybe um, other things that you haven't thought of. So the first Wednesday in October is when to um, celebrate that day. Next is World Wildlife Week, which is usually the first week of October, which is from the 1st of October to the 7th of October. Number three is International Day for Natural Disaster Reduction, and it's usually celebrated on the second Wednesday in October. Number four is World Farm Animals Day, and it's held annually on or around October 2nd, which is uh, Gandhi's birthday. And uh, number five is World the world tour of uh, solar homes, which is a time for here in the U.S. where we tour solar homes, and it's usually held every single October, and it usually occurs on the 3rd of October or the 4th of October. And then lastly, number six, environmental holiday to remember, is World Animal Day, which occurs on October the 4th. Headlines from the Hemispheres is the next segment, which is where I cover all types of different environmental news headlines all across the globe and give you a brief summary about what's happening. So the first headline is pretty brief and it's kind of alarming and pretty disappointing, especially for all those who pay exorbitant amounts of money to uh, get your appliances or um, any type of utility that you may be using, um, especially when the weather is, is down and it's cold or it's rainy or it's just, it's not warm enough, uh, you expect your utilities to work and for your appliances to work as well. And one lady um, had a huge problem regarding um, a repair that needed to be done. Uh, in her home. So installation of smart meter leaves elderly woman facing 4,000 pound bill. So this was reported from the Guardian out of the UK. This woman, August Anita Grant, she's almost 100 years old. She's 94 years old. 
and she uh, gets help, um, you know, through a wheelchair to get around and um, daily someone comes in and helps her and assists her. But recently she had a 4,000 pound bill from the company Scottish and Southern Energy, SSE, for all those who maybe don't know. And they installed this smart meter, which I think captures um, her energy uh, use. And it's for her her boiler because they, they had the meter and they left her with this boiler that was out of um, repair. It was, it was um, irreparably damaged. It could not be repaired. It was not... Um, what she needed to have in her home, and it, it didn't get the job done. And the Observer, which is a column in The Guardian, they actually got involved to see what the problem with SSE was, and uh, it got SSE to agree to cover the cost of the replacement boiler and any redecorating costs associated with it. So um, anyone who has SSE, you know, maybe you want to, you know, check in to see uh, if there are any other complaints that other customers have had uh, and they've had um, uh, repairs uh, done by SSE, you know, you wouldn't be worried of that, especially for all those who are in the UK across the pond. Because, um, you know, for the observer to get involved, um, you know, that's a rarity for, 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 for those who don't have their... Um, issue publicized. So you want to be wary of that. And I'm really um, proud and happy that the observer in of the Guardian decided to, you know, step in and to look at what SSE is doing and to make sure that they're accountable um, so that they didn't get away with victimizing this woman. Uh, next is a conglomerate of um, different uh, headlines and different types of news. I wanted to spice things up and instead of doing um, just two more uh, environmental headlines, I gathered some from Positive.News, the online magazine that's out of the UK, and it broke down several different um, headlines and they're kind of short and sweet and I wanted to talk about them briefly. So um, this headline is talking about animal welfare, um, plastic progress, and other positive news. Uh, I didn't uh, put the uh, news about the animal welfare because there were so many different headlines. And I kind of wanted to make them as short as possible uh, so that we could uh, get moving. But uh, a lot of this news comes from different places uh, around the world. So it comes from either England, France, Kazakhstan, and also the uh, UK. Uh, what was mentioned in uh, the piece on Positive That News, but the stories we're going to talk about, I'm going to individually talk about which countries they're from. So the first one is out of England, uh, and I think the other one is as well out of the UK. Um, where plastic straws and stirrers are being banned and also cotton buds, those are also going to be banned um, in England as part of a takedown of single-use plastic. And about 4.7 billion straws and 1.8 billion cotton buds 
are used every single year in England, and so the ban will definitely change that. Uh, next is the um, artist and designer David Adjay. He won a prestigious uh, Reba Award, and he made history Sir David Adjay, and he became the first black architect to win the prestigious Reba Royal Gold Medal, and that award has been in, in existence for 173 years now. He is a Tasmanian-born British architect, and he's of Ghanaian descent, and he's the founder of his own company, and he's best known for designing the beautifully sculpted and designed Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. here in the U.S. Another story is regarding plastic waste, and it comes out of the University of Portsmouth. And it uh, talks about new exciting information regarding this new enzyme that eats plastic rubbish and it devours the stuff six times faster than its previous competitor. It's, it's no new um, information that um, there are different enzymes that are eating plastic, sure, but this one is eating it at rates multiple times faster than any other type of enzyme is doing the plastic now. And then lastly is some information out of France about double paid paternity leave for all the new fathers out there uh, at 28 days. So all the new French fathers, they get 28 days paid paternity leave and it starts in the summer of 2021. It doubled from what it was previously, which was uh, 14 days or two weeks. And new fathers will also be required to take a week off of work after the birth of their baby as part of the new measures and an attempt to, you know, get them acclimated to being in the first few weeks of their young children's lives. Fizz.org is a really great source for anyone who's interested in the hard sciences and who, you know, love physics or maybe nanotechnology or another type of science. And I was inspired to talk about this topic from the source from there. And it uh, goes without saying that I have uh, talked about some similar topics, namely that uh, recently that there needs to be more color in environmental organizations and, and representation there and, and activism. And there needs to be more diversity just in uh, organizations that weren't necessarily built um, for um, people of color or you know black people, namely, because I'm you know I'm black. I'm um, I'm a person who wants to see myself in these organizations, and so um, you know you kind of have to sometimes join these organizations or find the information. But sometimes that's not as cut and dry. It's not as easy um, as possible, and you know there's not always. Um, people around to show you the ropes or, you know, to give you resources. Sometimes you kind of have to find these things out on your own. And sometimes the door is shut in your face and you're, you're not able to um, as easily join these organizations or there are loopholes that you may have to go through or delays in your application being accepted and, and many other things. But I, I wanted to talk about this 
because you know this is a an environmental podcast this is a research podcast this is a social science and sociology podcast this is an information uh, changer this is a podcast where we focus on solutions and knowledge and perspectives and you know sharing information and you know doing things that matter like i i want anyone who listens to this episode to know that they can change whatever is going on in their organization or if they're in the stem field you know change how your your lab looks change how your colleagues in the future look like and 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 give them that ability and and for those who are skeptical like demand that your lab look as diversified as a rainbow or look as diversified as the communities that you may come from you know it's it's illegal in the US for us to um segregate or discriminate uh, against one another based on things we cannot control such as skin color national origin um age etc uh ethnicity and we shouldn't do that uh, in the STEM field, but we're going to talk about um, a little bit of, of, of what's going on, how it got that way, and um, ramifications for um, stories of, of, of how people are feeling now about um, what's going on and how they kind of combat uh, racism uh, in the STEM fields and in research period, in the research field. So we're going to look at how to be uh, an anti-racist force. Now these uh, methods, these these steps, um, you can take them all into consideration, and you should. But you can apply these to your organization, to your school, uh, to your research lab, uh, almost to any um, organization. Just changing around uh, some of the language and some of the words around. So from a recent paper, there were um, a series of steps that uh, two different professionals uh, from different universities, DePaul University and the University of California, Merced, they presented guidelines of how to make a more um, uh, anti-racist uh, space and uh, allowing for learning to occur um, in the space. So people who um, are kind of strangers to um uh what's going on as far as you know socially in the climate um they can better learn how to be anti-racist how to how to be open and be willing and to change the face of what your your work environment looks like and that's a really good thing and that's what we need right now and so they published the their findings uh in the open access journal um plos um, PLOS, uh, the Computational Biology uh, Open Access Journal. So the STEM fields, or science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, uh, they are, I, I think, notorious for having low uh, racially and ethnic, ethnic, ethnically uh, diverse um, uh workers in a, in a sizable workforce and so this leads to many uh, disadvantages and many negative consequences such as having bias 
um, in the workplace, discrimination, um, and also power imbalances, especially in something like academia. So with the STEM community, um, they focused in this research mainly on um, the representation of uh, Black people, Indigenous people, people of color, anyone who's not white, the majority, the, the more the dominant society as um, others may uh, call them as well. And at the levels of the PhD level and above, they're looking at how low the numbers are for all those groups I just mentioned. So the lab leaders um, and, and those who may be listening, maybe who work in biology labs and forensic labs may um, work in other um, arenas, maybe research-based, maybe not. You're going to want to look at how to increase diversity um, smoothly, and this list will help you do that. So... Um, Chad, Harry, and Burhi are the last names of the researchers, again, from those um, different universities. And they came up with 10 simple rules, essentially, um, that will get you started to do many things. These will boost the voices of the Black, Indigenous, people of color. Um, it will, you know, create regular discussions of um, uh, lab members in the future about how they can talk about anti-racism work, how they can make sure their organizations and the work is more anti-racist uh, focused. It's going to also hold leaders accountable for making sure their workplace is safe for all voices to be heard, especially those who aren't um, in, 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 in mass and not in increasingly bigger numbers. And also it's going to make sure that the research agendas um, for those who are your um, uh, underrepresented are going to be amplified and it's going to you know, lead to better contributions for those who are black indigenous or um, other people of color. So the first step is to uh, first lead more informed discussions about anti-racism in your lab regularly. Number two is to adjust racism in your lab and also your field safety guidelines. Number three is to publish papers and write grants with uh, uh, BIPOC or Black Indigenous People of Color colleagues. Number four is to evaluate your lab's mentoring practices. Number five is to amplify voices of the uh, Black Indigenous People of Color or BIPOC uh, scientists in your field. Number six is to support um, BIPOC or Black or Indigenous uh, or people of color in their efforts to organize. Number seven is to intentionally recruit uh, BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color students and staff. Number eight is to adopt a dynamic research agenda. Number nine is to advocate for racially diverse leadership in science. And number 10 is to hold the powerful accountable and don't expect gratitude. A notable quotable from the uh, article is the following. Quote, the global uprising against racist violence that began in May 2020 sparked in the science community, a level of interest in anti-racism that I have never seen before. 
We wrote this paper to help scientists who are new to anti-racism work identify tangible actions and connect with resources to encourage the development of a more anti-racist STEM environment that will benefit all scientists, end quote. And that was from V. Bala Chaudhary of DePaul University in Chicago. She teaches environmental science there and also leads many different research groups. I want to first discuss a little bit of my experience in the sciences and um, in, a, in a bit of a research capacity and a little bit about the cost of racism as well. Uh, first of all, I love research. I love finding what data sets are being used, who are, are being asked these questions, uh, being able to you know publish data or do qualitative study versus quantitative um, um, quantitative analysis. And I love that there are so many different science topics to cover. No one can essentially get bored when you're in the sciences field. Now, there are different uh, routes that you could uh, take to um, get more experience in the field. You could take the role of a researcher or uh, working for a nonprofit or a different agency, maybe at the federal level, you could go that way as well. You could uh, travel into acad academia and um, rise in the ranks. And, you know, I got into the field because I love uh, solving social problems and I wanted to understand how society um, got to be the way it is and what moves culture and language and um, experiences that people face on a micro level and also on the macro level as well. And how there are um, disparities amongst people, you know, who are working class, who are upper middle class, who are, you know, billionaires, who have uh, money to spend, and um, recognizing that not everyone is, is, is treated fairly or is seen as, as equal in either the eyes of the law or, you know, in, in terms of just trying to make it in life. There are people who are really struggling uh, all because they don't make enough money. And someone deemed it that, oh, they don't matter because they don't make enough money. Or because they happen to be an immigrant, you know, their uh, experience in in the, in America um, and here in the U.S. should be um, not taken as seriously or they're disposable or they don't matter because they're an immigrant and they should be treated as um, invisible. And that's not fair. And so I, I research every time I, uh, almost every day, but a lot of times when I'm, I'm trying to discuss a new podcast episode and the topic, I, I discuss um, so much about it. I try and go as in-depth as possible. That's why my episodes are, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, almost an hour or more. And um, for me, I want more... Uh, black people and other communities, sure. I want everyone to be more invested in research and in the fields of STEM. We need more scientists. We need more mathematicians. We need more engineers of all the colors, but especially of the underrepresented ones. Um, you know, I don't have a ton of friends in, in STEM programs and black. Um, you know, I have friends who, you know, have their own businesses or are barbers or travel for work or, or 
our, our federal employees or who maybe stay at home folks. You know, I have friends who are parents and early parents. I have friends who are married, etc. But I don't have a lot of people I can just call and just talk about the STEM knowledge. And it's, it's really frustrating. And that's, and that's a big factor of kind of why I also wanted to talk about this because, you know, it specifically applies to me. Like I don't have uh, people that I can talk about, you know, uh, regarding topics I'm interested in and they happen to connect or give, you know, the utmost guidance on because they don't, they're not in those fields. So, um, you know, that's kind of how that ties to me. And, um, you know, sometimes it can take, you know, just one person who's invested in uh, someone's education or what they're interested in, you know, or someone going the extra mile and giving info about something new and unlearn. For example, for, you know, for those who are listening, you may be, you know, uh, up there in age, maybe 35, you know, 40 plus. You know, if you have a high schooler, um, or if you have someone in middle school, you know, getting to high school, um, you know, maybe seek out or have some mentor or advisor or someone who looks just like them, who happens to be black or happens to be indigenous or happens to be Middle Eastern or someone who happens to be South Asian, Asian or um, uh, someone who happens to be um, Latino or Latinx, um, you know, how they can connect with your high schooler about um, fields that they probably wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise. Maybe that person, when they were younger, they had someone reach out to them and introduce them to, you know, physics camp or um, about an after-school program that had to do with anthropology or, you know, space or something. So, you know, you want um, to get them in front of people who can introduce them to things they're not you know, familiar with. Maybe they're going to introduce them to space museums or um, traveling and how world travel is or math competitions early on. And they're going to get excited about that and learn about that firsthand because they, you know, learned about it in school from a, a mentor, from a teacher. Maybe, you know, they uh, caught on to a program and your your kid is interested and they uh, can't wait to tell you about it. Like encourage that and, 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 and have them explore that. You know, my neighbor, Mrs. Goolsby, um, who has uh, really w- been instrumental in my earlier work years, you know, she got me like my first uh, work position. I was in her nonprofit, uh, Close Energy Inc., and, um, it was the best, like it was really fun. I learned uh, many things about how to be an early researcher, how to ask questions and, 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 and do, um, exceptional, um, checks to survey data and manage a few interns and just be responsible and to be accountable. And I really appreciate her for that. Um, you know, she's a, a, a white woman who's, I think in her sixties, uh, now, but she, um, you know, really went the extra mile because I'm, you know, a great neighbor, really fun, you know, um, our, um, her little ones are now, you know, growing up now and they're like in their, you know, early twenties now. And I'm like in my late twenties, but you know, she was really great and instrumental, uh, in being someone who saw, you know, me taking photographs and, and of clouds and being curious about nature and the outside and the environment 
And she fostered that with, you know, opening up an internship um, spot for me and inviting me to that. And so I, I took that and I ran with it and it was a great, and essentially I also worked with her at another time a few years later. Um, so, uh, I really say that because, uh, sometimes you need someone to introduce you to something, to, um, make light of your accomplishments or to just see some sparkle in you and to explore that further. Um, so it doesn't, you know, go away or, or become dull or, you know, life uh, hardens you or no one took the time to see the real you and what you're interested in or what your your child is interested in. Um, so I really appreciate Mrs. Goolsby Gilles, Mrs. for that. And uh, I really have warm memories whenever I think of her. It really um, was a pleasure and a fun time learning so much working with her. Uh, I also want to briefly talk about a few other things, three other points, namely that I did talk about um, another podcast episode where we we have to, for those in the environmental movement, make it more inclusive. And it's the podcast is entitled, the episode is entitled Add Color, Making the Environmental Movement More Inclusive. And it's episode 167 and it's from June 28th, um, June 28th in 2020. Uh, in that episode, I talked about the recent events from spring of 2020 with the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and also uh, Jacob Blake. And I define all the different types of racism, that there's structural racism, uh, systemic racism, discursive racism, representational racism, and many more. And also the simple actions that we can do to really change uh, wherever racism is taking place is all facets of our life, our places of employment, uh, organizations, uh, your personal life, your dating life, all these factors uh, that, you, that you're interacting with in your life are all affected. Uh, I also lastly want to briefly talk about uh, how much racism is costing you, the United States. Yes, it costs being racist. How much? $16 trillion, according to NPR.org. Citigroup did an estimate of the loss of uh, money that is costing uh, the U.S. economy. And over the past 20 years, it's resulted um, from a lot of discrimination against African-Americans, first off. Uh, this $16 trillion doesn't include any other uh, ethnic group, any other racial group, only African-Americans. So there's no telling how much uh, racism has cost the economy from from discrimination against Asians, Middle Easterners, um, indigenous folks, um, Latinx folks, um, Aboriginal folks. Um, just anyone, just African-Americans, period. And also, um, I want to include in there uh, Africans as well, because there there is quite a bit a difference between Africans, African-Americans. But when I say black, I mean everybody black, everyone who identifies as black, you know, from the Caribbean, from the continent of Africa, and also here in the U.S. and across the pond, too, because we have our folks there who also, they have ties um, to the Caribbean or to Africa, but they just live in the UK. So, um, there, 
was um, there's a comparison just in the U.S. GDP back in 2019. That GDP was 19.5 trillion dollars. So just just see that gap there. See that comparison. You know, it took 20 years for the U.S. to to be to be out of 16 trillion dollars. You know, their whole economy. And then in 2019, we made a little bit more than that, 19.5 trillion dollars. That's a lot of money. You know, the, the study came up with the figure by noting four different racial gaps between African Americans and white people. $13 trillion lost in potential business revenue because of discriminatory lending and uh, practices to us um, black folks and the entrepreneurs there and uh, six, 6.1 million jobs that weren't made as a result of not getting that money in the first place. $2.7 trillion in lost income because of disparities in wages suffered by African Americans. $218 billion lost over the past two decades because of discrimination in providing housing credit and also $90 billion to $113 billion in lifetime income lost uh, from uh, due to discrimination in accessing higher education. That's a lot of money being lost because they can't afford to go to university or college because they were denied loans or they were denied entry into um, those institutions. You know, think about all that money lost. You know, your your black colleagues, your black co-workers, um, members of organizations, your friends, your uh, lovers, your your kids, parents, um, you know, chaperones at, at functions. All these people are um, suffering uh, in the shadows. They're, they're suffering silently. They're not being heard and they're not... Um, they're not going to tell you that they weren't denied for that bank loan. It's just going to happen and they're going to feel the effects. And they may, you know, talk about it over coffee, but it's a real issue. You know, they, that they, you know, couldn't get that business started that they always wanted to. And they're, you know, working the nine to five life and it's not great and they don't want it and they want to be their own boss, but it's going to take even longer you know, they're going to have to raise funds, you know, maybe get a, a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter going. And all because some banker decided that it wasn't worth uh, giving a loan to an African-American when they make just as much as that uh, white business owner and they want to get started. It's unfair. And we're going to talk about uh, all the ways we can break down these steps in meaningful ways that we don't have to uh, suffer uh, all this lost income and stress and worry about what the next uh, few decades are going to look like uh, for our economy here in the U.S. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in each episode and also to protect Mother Earth. Now the message for this episode is pretty simple in the Mother Earth Minutes. It's a quick uh, fact based on the survey data. So National Science Foundation, NSF, 
A survey found that in 2016, not too long ago, the scholars who identified as Black or African American were awarded just 6% of all doctorates in life sciences, life sciences and less than 3% of doctorates in physical and earth sciences. Students who identified as Hispanic or Latino were awarded less than 8% of doctorates in life sciences and about 5% of doctorates in physical and earth sciences. According to the most recent census, black people make up 13.4% of the population and Latinos make up 18.5%. Now, uh, given that, I wish they would have put Latinx, uh, just to be politically correct, um, in the, the data there, but um, that is just showing you how low um, the awarding of doctorates are. I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't, there aren't um, you know, black folks in mass um, not applying to get doctorates. But, you know, maybe it's taking them, you know, extra long because they're not getting the funding um, to, to successfully complete their degree. Or they weren't giving the proper tools to even, you know, search and apply to even become a doctor. Maybe it's taking a lot of time. Maybe they are successfully, you know, becoming doctors, but there's not enough data to support uh, huge numbers of, of black people becoming doctors in the life sciences specifically, not anything like the medical field. You know, there's, there's tons of doctors there, but in other, you know, sciences too, we need more, uh, black, um, voices and professionals in those spaces. And also, uh, uh, Latino folk, Latinx folk, um, so one of the first steps that we're going to cover, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about each step and then um, something that you can do, some point of view that you can take from each step and to do all of these, um, especially if you work in academia, especially if you work in a research field. If you're a researcher, if you're a person who's interested in this, if you work in a, an adjacent field, this is for you. Just like the other podcast episode I did about adding color, add color. Um, in the environmental organizations and for us to be inclusive, we need better um, numbers of black people, of Asian people, of Middle Eastern, Middle Easterners, of indigenous people, of Aboriginal people to be in all of these professional uh, settings. So when it comes to leading more informed discussions about anti-racism work in your lab regularly, what you could do is um, gather resources on how to be anti-racist. There has been a recent book about how to be uh, anti-racist and to be uh, more inclusive, learn about how to be more inclusive. What does that mean? This means accepting and teaching and working with and growing with all different types of people from all different types of backgrounds and making their experience at work or in your organization or at school, etc., um, make it easier for them to communicate anything that's wrong or going right with them and how they're experiencing working or teaching in or learning from or 
or being in the organization from their point of view. You know, be sensitive to their experiences. If they're telling you that they're feeling discriminatory behavior, you know, realize that, adjust that, and make them feel at home. Make them feel warm and welcomed. Don't ostracize them. Don't, you know, make them feel, um, you know, unwelcomed. Don't, you know, practice racism against them. Make them feel like any other um, researcher, any other colleague that you have. You know, let um, lab work be led by other uh, lab researchers who are not white, who are people of color. You know, let them lead and have leadership positions and have them talk about their experiences and have a safe space for them to talk about whatever they want to talk about and how they, they want to see change in their departments. You know, sometimes they, they may not be, maybe they're, they're, they're coming from a different country. Let's say there's a, there's a Chinese um, man who's a researcher and he's in your department and he's kind of new to the company. He's, you know, been in the U.S. for maybe a few years, but he doesn't know many people. You know, get him uh, acclimated to the company. You know, befriend him. Uh, teach him the ropes. Maybe he's uh, maybe a junior or maybe in a senior role. You know, make sure that he has a, a clear path and is, it's very clear of him to, you know, advance in, in, his, in his work and not, you know, stay stagnant and don't stifle him because, oh, he's new or he doesn't know a lot. No, he's accomplished. He's here in the U.S. and he has his credentials. He just happens to be from China. And he's trying to make it work. And, you know, maybe, you know, he can learn some things also about how to be more inclusive as well. So there are many things. Um, hashtag black, black in the ivory is a, is a, a hashtag going on Twitter. For those who are black and in the ivory tower, to uh, which is uh, more of an uh, academic reference, um, to build solidarity for those who happen to be uh, in those upper um, channels of academia. Number two is to adjust racism in your lab and in field safety guidelines. So I want to. Briefly with this, just talk about the experience of Tanisha Williams, who uh, shows her work uh, out of Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, and how she's a botanist at, Buc- at Bucknell University, and she knows exactly how to do her work and which plants to look for, but after being questioned by strangers in public parks for her work, uh, Williams, who is black, uh, decided to start carrying field guides with her. And quote, she says, quote, I've been quizzed by random strangers. Uh, now I bring my wildflower books and botanical field guides trying to look like a scientist. It's for, the, it's for other people. I wouldn't otherwise lug the, the, these books, end quote. So even when she's trying to do her work, minding her own business, you have people who are trying to pry, be nosy, um, get up in her business and, you know, try and demand, you know, why she's in the park, asking her questions as, a, as if why she's there, thinking it's their right to ask her, the Karens of the world, if you, if you will. Uh, those who, you know, are your nosy Nancy friend who think it's their job to police black people and, you know, embark on, you know, why they think that they have the right to be up in these public parks and to just 
be inquisitive. It's not needed. She doesn't need you addressing um, why she's doing her work. She's doing her work, and if you have questions, that's great, but don't do it because you see a random black lady in the, in the park studying flowers, taking her sweet time. Do it because you're interested. And, you know, ask questions that aren't prying, like, you know, how long have you lived in this neighborhood? Or what's your purpose here? Or asking other questions such as that. Number three is uh, with publishing papers and writing grants uh, with uh, BIPOC or um, other types of colleagues, um, you know, ask um, them, you know, questions that they, you know, want to be asked. Um, so that means asking uh, what research do they want to source? What sources do they want to use? What reliable sources, academic sources, uh, do they want to use? What issues um, are going to be specific to their communities that they can uniquely write about and tell uh, in a way that communicates all that they're that they are trying to express whatever is important to them without exerting control as a non-black uh, person or as a non-person um, of color. Um, you want to be able to encourage whatever topics they want to talk about. Maybe they want to talk about um, geologic specimens uh, in their frequency in um, uh, places that. Uh, are rural and they want to study, um, you know, interactions of um, uh, people who um, who may be indigenous or black or um, other underrepresented, and they want to study and look at formations of um, rocks and areas, etc., in areas like that where. You know, maybe there aren't a lot of indigenous or black people living. Maybe they want to study, you know, how often uh, uh, black people or, or or people of color, other people of color, um, are going to national parks and the frequency of, 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 of visitation to these parks and why maybe they're not accessing them a lot. You know, that's a great topic. And that's a, a, a topic that, you know, could really get deep. It could really get, get deep down that rabbit hole. And so you want them to explore that. And they should want to explore that too. And not feel controlled about the particular topic. Number four is to evaluate your lab's mentoring practices. So how much time is each researcher receiving? Is it equal? Is it fair? Have you asked the researcher, the research associate, how they feel about it. Are they feeling any bias? Can you ask them about that bias and they feel open enough to tell you without being reprimanded? You know, are you are you trying to police their feelings or their experience? You know, what resources are being made to create a fair work environment? How is your lab being done? Are they feeling harassed? Are they feeling, are they feeling, um, uh, Unheard? Are they feeling like they're not going to get the same support as their white colleagues? What is it that is making them feeling, uh, making them feel uncomfortable? You know, how are they uh, able to successfully do the work if they're not able to openly talk to you about it? You know, are you are you the type of person who's open to that or, or who's open to uh, 
open discussion about it and and free to discuss ideas and 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 other things they should be able to talk to you their 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 chair or their supervisor or their manager or their their lead um in the lab space or in the research space period in the stem field period number five is to amplify the voices of black indigenous or in, in people of color all the scientists in their fields you know maybe they write a particular column um, in your science magazine or maybe um, in the school that you teach in um, would make uh, would um, creating a science group would that be better you know to amplify their voices you know would a bring a friend support group initiative be better like encouraging them to bring their colleagues their other um, colleagues who are other people of color you know maybe starting a blog or just joining the work that other black indigenous and other people of color are doing is a start you know like I said before in the other uh, episode is to be an advocate you know have that uh, I'm not gonna say not have that black friend no have more than just a black friend have that black colleague have that black um, you know dating partner have that black uh, member in your organization have that black support system of someone that you know who doesn't look like you and and be an advocate for whatever mission they're trying to accomplish in their work if they're trying to tell you that they're trying to get on the radio station to promote uh, their research or maybe they're trying to do an ad um, regarding their research and they need resources or they need connections help them you know encourage them to start a blog and, and to not be hesitant about that to talk about their experiences being, you know, an Asian American in the mathematics department in the university. You know, maybe they don't feel, you know, a space to, to talk about that, but they want to. You know, and that's where they need you for. Maybe you have additional resources that can really help them. Number six is to support other black indigenous and other people of color in their efforts to organize. So this is vital, especially when uh, you can ask them like what they need. If they, if you need to give money, um, or to create a grassroots advocacy movement in whatever efforts best are, are, are best for them, you know, think like a grassroots person. Uh, talk and be video chatting, calling them, texting them. Um, build membership in their organization or um, event. And, and get other people in on the momentum. Other people who aren't white. Other people who are just like them. Maybe they need, and, and they know a few other Asian American folks, and they other they need other people who um, are in the Asian community to rally around this. And maybe you all are in a similar club or in another group, and you have ties to one another. Get more people involved in whatever that person or per or people are trying to um, uh, create. Uh, maybe they come from different countries. Maybe you know someone from, um, you know, Nepal, or someone from Costa Rica, and you want uh, more uh, Nepalese or more Costa Ricans um, in on uh, 
the uh, type of effort uh, that you want to organize. Maybe you want to organize a fundraiser. Maybe you want to organize a uh, science night in, in where it's a, a specific science um, topic or field work, like maybe um, the physical sciences or maybe technology or you know geology or meteorology. And you, you know, need to connect uh, other Costa Ricans to each other, those who you work with, you know, ask your network of folks, maybe on LinkedIn, maybe on social media, maybe, um, you know, other colleagues who know those who are Costa Rican who happen to be in a science field too, you know, maybe they know people, maybe they can have it be, you know, more uh, inclusive that way, you know, it, you, you, you'd be surprised um, how it feels to see someone who looks just like you at an event where otherwise it would be, you know, a majority um, white. And, and, you know, it, it builds a lot of community when, when finding people who are just like you in a small niche. It really um, makes all the difference. It makes you feel more at home, makes you feel more warm. Um, and you want to be able to do that work for longer. You want to be able to be around people um, who are just like you, you know, and, and small and, and underrepresented. And, you know, maybe they're new to your organization, company, etc. And that really makes them feel at home, makes them feel better. Um, also, things like, again, fundraisers, trips, projects, other special meetings, whatever the person of color or people of color want to organize, help them with that. It'll be fun. Number seven is simply put to it to intentionally recruit um, BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color, students and staff. This is really straight to the point. Can't get any um, clearer than this. This means recruiting people who wouldn't otherwise maybe get the chance. Maybe they've been applying to the University of Michigan, to the University of Miami, to, you know, Harvard University. And they need somebody in admissions who happens to be um, someone who has a lot of power to see them and, you know, um, make them become a student. You know, maybe you, you love their application so much. Don't have doubts. Accept them into your university. Hire that person on the staff. Remember, remember, the goal, the goal is to make your boards, your uh, departments, your teams as much of a rainbow as possible. And I'm talking about a rainbow in abilities, um, uh, disabilities, um, ethnic uh, uh, origins. Uh, I'm talking about nationalities, I'm talking about ages, I'm talking about lived experiences, I'm talking about you want your uh, classrooms and everywhere else to be as diversified as possible. This world is too big for everyone in your organization to be looking just like you, unless it's specifically like, you know, maybe a black owned business or maybe, you know, a, a historically black um, college or university or HBCU, you know, sans that, 
you want your university to be diversified. And I say that because black uh, HBCUs, they're specifically made um, and they've been historically, you know, black because there wasn't enough representation beforehand. And after slavery, black people needed a safe place to get educated without worrying about being killed, murdered, maimed, raped, etc. And so you, in whatever capacity you can, this is very important. You want to recruit, hire, um, invite into membership people who are black, indigenous, people of color, all the all the colors, but mainly those folks. Again, remember that statistic and that fact I talked about in the earlier part of the segment here in the Mother Earth Minutes, that there's small percentages of black and Latinx degree holders who happen to have doctorates in those earth sciences, physical sciences, life sciences. Didn't talk about, um, you know, others, Asians, Middle Easterners, Aboriginals, etc., Africans, for example. Um, it just talked about those specific ones, um, you know, regarding um, you know, Black or African American folks and uh, Latinx folks. Number eight, I want to talk about uh, is adopting a dynamic research agenda. Now, for this, you want to encourage, to support, and seek out uh, all types of research topics that in, in data, resources, books, all types of things um, from black researchers, from other researchers that is specific to them. You know, adopt exploring uh, or exploring exploring, exploring um, a dynamic, diverse, in-depth, um, different type of research agenda than you're used to. Number nine is to advocate for racially diverse leadership in science. Now, this is almost as important, if not um, just goes leaps and bounds as to number seven too but um with this one you're advocating and you're hiring or you're joining science organizations or you're tenuring staff uh, in science departments and in mathematics departments and energy um energy or maybe engineering departments or nominating people or voting qualified individuals again who are racially diverse who someone who isn't white you know, you're rooting for the underdog. You're rooting for um, the the type of leadership that you want. It's different. It's okay to to, to break the status quo, to uh, bend the rules. And when I say bend the rules, I'm not saying doing anything illegally, but bending business as usual. You know, maybe you're tired of look at looking at Frank and Susie and Beth, you know, at the department meetings, and you want an Ahmed. You want a Keisha. You want a, um, you know, a Lula at your meetings. You know, you want a, you know, uh, a a better um, represented uh, group as to how they can all be diverse. You want them at those meetings. You want them to really lead uh, and be the, the leaders of tomorrow. So this means being diverse again in the ethnic backgrounds, color, national origins, immigrant status. Again, the goal for this podcast 
is to, to make it clear that you want your departments and your, your boards and the places where you work to be diverse. If you're not doing that, you're failing. You're failing your, your future um, leaders, your children, your companies, your organizations, yourself. You're failing your economy in the U.S. It's, it's deep in the trillions, all because of racism. And that's specific to African Americans. But, you know, other groups, it would be probably close to probably a hundred trillion, maybe, if things don't get better. And lastly, number 10, you want to hold the powerful accountable and don't expect any gratitude. Now, it may be hard to say, you know, I want to be thanked for what I'm doing. But, you know, you know, just do the hard work, even if you don't win praise or get praise or even thank yous. You know, sometimes thank yous come in the form of breaking barriers and paving the way for others. And in knowing that you did something really remarkable in the years that you worked at a company or in an organization. And it comes later as a win for when you see your representatives um uh, in you know your community or maybe in an organization, etc., um, you see them diverse as the communities that they come from. You know, and that's that's a beautiful thing. That's what you want to see. That's what I want to see. In the Sierra Club, it's happening now. I'm seeing and electing more women. I, I'm I'm always consciously aware of this. Consciously electing women. Um, If I see a a black name or a Latinx name uh, on the ballot for leadership and, you know, executive director or in any of the uh, different uh, departments or chairs um, in the organization at the national level, especially, I read their descriptions and I knowingly pick these people and make the best decision I can. And yes, I go for those who are not... Um, represented in mass. So if I see a black male who's got tons of experience, has been in the Sierra Club, is a life member, knows what he's talking about and loves his work in the Sierra Club, he's getting my vote. You know, a woman is, is going to get my vote um, for now over a man. And, and, and that's not being sexist, that's being real. That's being like, I want to see more women in leadership fields and leadership positions. And that's me doing the work I'm, I'm living and doing exactly what I'm talking about here. And that's an example, you know. I recently just did this. Um, well, I've, I've been doing this, but I recently, there's a recent example of me voting um, for, you know, staff members who, you know, are not new to the Sierra Club, and they've been members for a long time. Some are life members. Um, but I'm, I'm making sure and counting um, on those who, would not probably have the chance otherwise or um, I applied at just the right time to be seen by my eyes so that I could, you know, apply um, to, you know, making them um, be leaders in the Sierra Club for some years. fact of the day is that the abandoned school bus that Christopher McCandless 
lived in during his Alaska wilderness ordeal, made famous by John Krakars, uh, into the wild is removed by officials. Pilgrimages to the site have resulted in 15 search and rescue operations and two deaths. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club, Sierra Magazine, in a September-October 2020 issue. We have reached the Eco Company Spotlight here in the Green of Thoughts program. It's been a long time coming because I did talk in length in the Mother Earth Minutes, but I really hope you enjoyed that bit because I don't usually talk that long, but felt like it was important and I hope you listen in its entirety. But uh, I want to talk about an amazing company here. As you know, I talk about amazing companies that are doing great for the planet and for you as well. Many different types of products uh, that I've talked about. I've talked about, you know, all types of uh, beauty products, cosmetic products, food, um, different services and apps that you can use that really um, spearhead your recycling and make it easier and succinct and uh, also clothing and all types of other brands and uh, industries as well and I've been doing a lot of that reviewing since February 2019 now plan to stop even though uh, I will be explicitly saying in either episode if I haven't otherwise uh, said so um, if um, you know going forward now um, if I'm reviewing a particular product if I've you know reviewed it or if I haven't or plan to in the future and you know it's because of um, wanting to uh, access and you know buy and, and support all these different companies but kind of not having um, the reach all the time like I don't have you know tons of money to spend on doing a lot of reviews but I do have tons of time to review and succinctly talk about each company and the pros and cons of it and giving you as much information as I possibly can so you can make an informed decision about supporting this company or you know companies in the future so I'm going to talk about another one called Samsara so Samsara is the new and chic minimalist women's accessories company and they make their products from unique sources such as apples, bamboo, and also recycled materials. And they continuously search for materials that do not cost the planet. With just $500 and a production run of just 10 bags, Salima, one of the founders, started Samara Bags in December 2017 because she couldn't find an excellent bag that was cruelty-free, simple, and yet elegant. So Samara aims to one day be entirely plant-based to ensure that their materials are sustainable and require the least amount of processing. So Salima named the brand after her sister Samara and the two of them run the company in memory of their mom who passed a few months before the company's inception. So Samara produces over 70,000 bags every single year. So Samara is committed to uh, different types of uh, sustainable um, things and namely in their uh, production of their bags. So they are cruelty free 
and she used a different, uh, they used different materials in their bags, um, namely vegan leather, apple uh, leather, which is a byproduct they have from the juicing industry, and they use uh, the um, bits of apples to make their leather, which is really, really cool. They also use castor seeds, bamboo, recycled ocean plastics, and also recycled plastic bottles for their um, materials and their products. And for their polyurethane, they also use that and it acts as a binder for their leather, uh, different leathers, and it's water-based uh, polyurethane, and they also have a, a microfiber um, component, uh, which is uh, less toxic um, during production. Uh, and also, there is a portion of the profits of every Samara bag that goes towards supporting the Sola backpack, which employs women in Kenya to create sustainable chains. It's very near and dear to Salima, who for, for the first um, majority of her life, by 18 years, she lived in Kenya. And she started Samara bags, uh, Samara, um, uh, after um, creating this initiative based on the solar backpack um, initiative that she started uh, for children in East Africa and it uh, uh, outfits the children with a backpack that has a solar panel in it. As far as press, Samara has been featured in the following social notable uh, the following notable publications of Business Insider, BuzzFeed, Forbes, Refinery29, and also Vogue. So, as far as the different products that Samara has, uh, the company has different things like sunglasses, they have bags, scarves, and loungewear. For loungewear, uh, they're made out of uh, bamboo, their scarves are made from recycled plastic bottles, their bags are made from recycled plastic, and their sunglasses are made out of castor seeds. They have, again, bags, loungewear, and accessories too, which includes their scarves, sunglasses, they have an anti-planner, and also a necklace. And I haven't experienced um, Samara in buying their products yet. I plan to, though. Um, and I, I love their chicness. It's just so shiny, um, as in like a, a, a nice soft finish, I guess. And they have uh, different bags I do want to be uh, uh, purchasing from them. Like the Weekender, I haven't had, I don't really have too many, I don't have any Weekender bags. Like I have a, a soft bag, but it's not uh, up to scale um, for holding things that you know or, or you know, um, not um, as, like I, I want something that's a bag that, you know, I can I can use and it's it's you know sturdy and it's a, a nice sort of you know apple leather something that's really cool and it's thoughtful. You know, they have um, essential oils that they pack in with the, these types of bags, like the weekender bag. I never heard of that before, so it's it's really um, as carefully crafted as can be. I love a good fanny pack. I love fanny packs. I wouldn't say I'm addicted. I'm not addicted to consumerism like that. Um, but I do love that they do have a fanny pack. Also, there's the Lola and maybe the classic bag I may invest in as well. But for sure, I'm definitely going to get the fanny pack in the Weekender too. Uh, I do love that they have multi-use for all their different products. It's extremely minimalistic and stylish. Uh, 
Um, can't find a bad design on their website at all. Wouldn't be able to if I could tell you. Um, they have wonderful prices. Everything ranges from about $40 at this at their low end and their uh, one item to about $332 um, US dollars. And that's for the bundle of several of their different bags. Everything looks so, so soft and supple. I can't wait to eventually buy the fanny pack in the weekender. And I give their brand overall five out of five green thumbs up. It's amazing. So Samara bags, you'll mainly find it on their website, which is great because, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's great finding all of their products and all of a brand's or company's products in one place. Um, so the website, Samara Bags, S-A-M-A-R-A Bags, B-A-G-S dot com, and they're based in Toronto, Canada. So Samara can be found on the following social media platforms, a Facebook at Samara Bags, on Instagram at Samara, all lowercase, they're on LinkedIn at Samara Bags, they're on Pinterest at Samara, they're on Twitter at Samara. And they're on a YouTube, but they don't really have a dedicated channel as far as I could um, check. But uh, you could uh, subscribe to Samara Vizram. She is one of the, the YouTube account associated um, with the brand. So to contact Samara, just check out samarabags.com and then check out the bottom of the website uh, under contact us to message them. Thank you, dedicated listeners of Greener Thoughts. Um, thank you for, you know, coming and listening to this episode, you know, this different type of podcast episode. Um, I love talking about serious uh, issues that happen to, of course, tie into, uh, you know, different sectors. You know, the STEM uh, community is very near and dear, um, you know, when you're talking about research and um, they need to be better represented. Um, maybe you may be listening and maybe you have ties to the science community. Maybe you don't, but regardless, any of those previous tips and steps that I talked about can be applied to your organization. They really can. And I, I thank you for, um, being conscious enough to, you know, open up the podcast episode and listen and you know, share this, you know, I, I know that, um, it'll probably help someone else out there and, you know, maybe they hadn't had access to this before. I know that I'll try and get this podcast into the hands of those who really are change makers and have the ability to affect change in policy. And, um, they really want to, you know, expand, what their organizations look like, what their companies look like, what their classrooms look like. And I hope you do too. You know, that's what the purpose of why I made this this podcast episode. And, you know, it's probably extra long, but that's good. There's more information to learn and expand upon. More questions to ask. And, again, the goal is to have your organization be as much of a rainbow as possible, you know, and as much as a diverse place, you know, you want your organization, your group, your team, 
you know, your field to be as diverse as the countries that make up the the planet. And if you can do that, then you're successful in more ways than one. It may not be all about the money, but it sure is all about the people. So until next time, please be sure to share this podcast episode. Um, you know, to open up your ears and hearts. And if you want to, um, definitely support more of Greener Thoughts. There are ways to do that uh, on the Anchor site, anchor.fm forward slash Greener Thoughts Podcast, and clicking subscribe or support, I should say. And uh, different, there are different tiers of how to support Greener Thoughts. But many of the listens and sharing... Um, of the podcast help just as much Um, but definitely uh, so does um, other ways to support too so thank you thank you as always especially my dedicated listeners who always come back I always see you know the the number of um, um, listeners and for those who come back and everything and always there's a small minority of people who you know repeatedly come back whenever I release the episode, kind of no matter what it is, but that's a good thing, and it, it means that, um, you know, I have a, a dedicated force, and that's, that's fine with me. If I'm reaching, you know, the people I need to reach, big or small, I'm doing my part. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I thank you, as always. I'm eternally grateful. I say it all the time in every podcast episode, but I, I really mean it, and it, it, it warms me, and I don't ever want to stop doing what I'm doing with this podcast. So, thank you. So, again, uh, be sure to, you know, beware of my next podcast episode and be on the lookout for it. But until then, please take care of yourselves and please take care of the planet. See ya.